Hello and welcome to the Filter Free Podcast. I am your host, TJ Stevens. Steppens. Joining Steppen's me as Wolf. always, Steppenwolf. I love that band. Magic Carpet Ride. Joining me as always, Dollar Bill Dave. Hey, y'all. And Timmy C. I prefer when they don't have carpet. While you're at it, follow the show <laughs> on Twitter at FF Podcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Podcast. Follow the network. At Filter Free Nets, become a $10 dummy head at www.patreon.com forward slash filter free. Timmy C, what we have in store on Patreon. And last night as we were recording this, so it was actually two weeks ago, we had a watch along with uh, Warrior Wrestling. So what else, what else we got going on? I had half a watch along with Warrior Wrestling because you're not you, good at dates. You left abruptly. I, well, I had to, <laughs> or else we wouldn't be doing this today. I'd be watching Thunder from 1964. That's a terrible one. Well, I was at like that. One. Was at that one. <laughs> Frank Gotch. Mm. Well, we have our Patreon exclusive shows. Last night wasn't an exclusive show, though. No. We we have Legends Let's Rethink This. Big names coming. We announced last night that we would be having Steve Kern and the real world's champion Cha-chow. Nick Aldis. Cha-chow. We also have coming back in the fall footballers getting paid with Tim and Dave. I've missed XFL this weekend because I was busy watching Thunder. I'm upset. Did the Hawks win last night? They won like 29 to 13. Sweet. We have Wrestling Rewrite where they are now in May of 1942. Yeah, I have to think about when we're this is airing because we're airing so far Frank ahead. Gotch is the new champion. It will be October. October of 05. He pinned Gorgeous George after the body slam. Mm. Randy Savage's ex-wife? Were they married? I thought they were just dating. Uh, I don't know. She was hot. He's putting in her pooper. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) We also have Evolution of Evil, plus our very barren schedule of 2023's bus rides and events and... Wrestling hates us. I mean, we're going to be going to some independent shows, but that's it. Nothing major. So, and no one until Dave moves and we figure it out. Yeah, I think Alabama's good. GCW is going to be in Huntsville for Top Guy Weekend, so we need to figure that out. Apparently, um, our our map footprint is going to extend from the Midwest to the South. I'm not necessarily against Atlanta shows. Hmm. Well, do you know where we're not going this week? We're not going to Atlanta. I think this show was in Orlando, actually. Because we're going back to April 15th, 1999. And we're going to watch an absolutely abhorrent episode of WCW Thunder. Before we get to that show, let's see what was happening in your world yesterday. Let's run through some events. Filter free up first. Stories that missed the cut April 1st. Joe Dumars of the Detroit Pistons becomes the 10th player ever to play a thousand games with his original team. Probably the last one. Everyone gets traded now. Kobe. Unless you, I mean, unless you count the Hornets as his original team, but he never played for Hornets. I like it. I'll allow it. April 1st, Jesse Stone, the songwriter behind Shake, Rattle, and Roll, dies at the age of 97. Honky Tonk Man? No, not him. Different one. Different Shake, Rattle, and Roll. April 1st, 
NBA coach Larry Brown wins his 900th career game. You shake my nerves and you rattle my roll. That's all. Yes. Your your roll. Rattle your roll. Yeah, rattle your roll. (laughs) (laughs) That's great balls of fire. Yeah, actually, yeah, you were saying great balls of fire. I know that guy banged his cousin. (laughs) Thirteen-year-old cousin. (laughs) You know who did not bang his thirteen-year-old cousin? Larry Brown, (laughs) NBA Hall of Famer. He won his 900th career game. This one with the 76ers, they beat the Heat 88 to 84. He won 671 games in the NBA and 229 in the ABA up until this point. How do you know he didn't bang his cousin? I mean, that's true. I don't know him very well. Actually, I don't know him at all. He might have. I just say that the likelihood is down with Larry Brown. Well, I don't know. He was, like, born in 1822, so. His whole life. April 4th, early win, Hall of Fame pitcher, 1959 Cy Young winner, a nine-time All-Star, dies at the age of 79 after a stroke. If you ever get a chance, go to his hotel in Vegas. It's fabulous. The win? Yeah. I've been there. I've been there. I've seen it. April 5th, the musical Mamma Mia premieres at the Prince Edward Theater in London. I think that also plays at the win. In Haven't Las seen Vegas. it. I'm good. My wife's seen it. Nerd. She is a nerd. April 5th, Wayne Brady is married to Mandy Takeda. Here's the story of a man named Brady. I, you have to be the first person that's ever made that joke, Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. Hey, thank you. April 6th, Gene Benson and outfielder. Wayne Brady Mike. gonna have to smack a bitch? That's, that's to me, his funniest thing he's ever done. Yes. Gene Benson, an outfielder and multiple-time all-star in the Negro Leagues, dies at the age of 85. I liked his TV show in the 80s. Benson? Yep. You are on fire. He's divorced from Mandy Tatanka, by the way. (laughs) Mandy Tatanka! (laughs) She got remarried to Tatanka. April 9th, Lil Nas X is born in Lithia Springs, Georgia. Gonna take his horse to the Old Town Road. Don't do that. Don't do that anymore. April 11th. Jose Maria Alasabo beats Davis Love III by two strokes and Greg Norman by three strokes to win his second Masters green jacket. Hola, what? See, for that one, I was expecting you to go gold jacket, green jacket. Who gives a shit? That's what that um, was. I was no, I want you to say his name again because you mispronounced it again. Olasabo? Olafable. It's a, It makes an F sound. You're an F sound. April 12th. U.S. President Bill Clinton is cited for contempt and forgiving quote, intentionally false statements, end quote, in a sexual harassment civil lawsuit. We've covered old Slick Willie on season one, episode 43, the episode we did, WWF St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Who could believe he sexually harassed somebody? Mm, a lot of people. Someone should have told him to put his hands in his pocket. April 12th, U.S. Air Force veteran, singer of King of the Road, Boxcar Willie, dies at the age of 67 from leukemia. You want to sing that one, Dave? You never heard of him. King of the Road? You never heard of Boxcar Willie? No. Oh, I think, I think, uh, I've, pretty, I've heard of the Boxcar Children. But I read that whole series when I was in elementary school, yes. I read that whole series. I had the, I had the box and everything for it. I had the whole have, set. That must have came along after I... It came along in like the 60s. Because say, unless you were born in 1940, it did not come before you. I was actually. <laughs> April 14th, a severe hailstorm in Australia causes good day causes 1.7 billion dollars in insured damages, the most costly natural disaster in Australian history. 
That must have been one hell of a hailstorm, bro. Well, they have but, a lot of glass. I don't know if but, you've seen the architecture. I showed a lot of glass. But was it one point seven billion Australian? Because their money's kind of like Canada. It's not. That's a great question. I don't know that. I mean, one point seven billion Australians like eighty seven dollars in American. It was one ninety three for Taurus. <laughs> April 14th, Chase Young of the Washington Commanders is born in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. That dude's a beast. He is. He's a monster. April 16th, Skip Spence, the guitarist from Jefferson Airplane, dies of lung cancer at age 52. Uh, I think it was Jefferson Starship. Or Starship. I just wrote down what it said. Starship. They they changed their name like 47 times. 83 times, yes. And they're a shit band. They've had a, they had a couple of decent hits. Don't say they're shit. Jefferson Airplane is yeah, a right. rock band from San Francisco. Pioneer bands of psychedelic rock. No wonder I've never heard of them. You've <laughs> never heard of Jefferson Airplane? No. Is it? Uh, isn't that song that uh, what's his face comes out? You know, Orange Cassidy. Isn't that Jefferson Airplane or Jefferson Starship? One of them. Jane. No, I don't know. I have it on my phone. It doesn't matter. They say anyway, somebody to love. Don't you want somebody to love? Cable yes. guy. That would reference. I know that a- song. April 18th. White Rabbit. White Rabbit. Yeah, that one too. Never hurts it. Nothing's going to stop us now. And we can be together. Same band. Nothing's going to stop us now. Oh, you stop. Terrible. Nothing's gonna <laughs> stop us. That was pretty good. Right, what was it you said to me last episode? You can be wrong. That's okay. <laughs> I would agree with you, but then we both be wrong. April 18th. Wayne Gretzky plays in his final game as the New York Rangers lose to Pittsburgh 2-1. to one. Believe it or not, we covered Gretzky the same episode we covered Bill Clinton. I thought he was an L.A. King. His final game was a Ranger. And then he bought the Coyotes. I thought he played for the Montreal Quebecers. No, so he was drafted by the Oilers of Edmonton, not Houston. And then he was traded to the Kings and then the Rangers. I think there was another. I think he played for the Blues for like four. Nobody games. gives a shit. Then why'd you ask? It's ice soccer. I didn't ask. Oh, okay. April twenty first, Dollar Bill Dave discovers Joe Kelly for the first time while simultaneously quoting former Florida State Seminole legend and former WCW World Heavyweight Champion Ron Simmons, who was Farouk here in ninety nine. Damn. Damn. Who's Joe Kelly? And let me Google her. I have a girl that goes to my gym that has a Florida State license plate cover i think she went to school there i will um she's got cake she's a porn chick i didn't i didn't i didn't write this note so i like her <laughs> good we got we we struck gold with it i bet she puts out <laughs> I would assume. well i mean it depends on well, she she's in porn so there's a good chance she puts well, out I mean, <laughs> what do you I, do i make the worst porns ever because we don't have sex oh uh, well i mean i mean the acting in her movies are shit. <laughs> I would assume there has to be money involved. She's not just gonna, you know, I'm gonna walk all over town. Not for me. I mean, I. Hey, what's up? We need to, we need to stop before we get in trouble again. April twenty eighth, 
Arthur Leonard Shallow, American physicist and 1981 Nobel winner for his work with lasers, dies of leukemia of age, age 77. That should have missed the missed the cut. Nope. It's a Nobel Prize winner. He needs to be in the show. You couldn't even get his name right. You're like, Arthur Leonard Shallow. Shamwow. He has 47. I, Shamwow. He yeah, invented Shamwow. the Shamwow? <laughs> All yeah. right. I'm back in on him. I didn't know he was, uh, it was named after someone, but a Nobel Prize winner, no less. <laughs> April 30th, Daryl Sweet, drummer from the band Nazareth, dies of a heart attack during a concert sound check at age 51. Love hurts. Never heard of them. No, Hair of the Dog. That's what. That's their famous one. No, Love Hurts. Now you're messing with the son from, of a bitch. From the soundtrack of Dazed and Confused. Stories in the wheelhouse. It's time. April 17th. We're going to head to whatever hotel I'm going to say here in a second. And we're going to cover the NFL draft. And the Cleveland Browns, surprise, surprise, are sitting at number one. The event well, that once... What? To be fair, this was their expansion Browns. This was the first year they were back. And That's we're going to see they how they did. They, they were very Cleveland Browns here. They didn't lose any games the year before. True. Them and the 72 Dolphins. The event that once took place in a smoky hotel room conferences conference rooms? I can't read has now been moved to the theater at Madison Square Garden, covered on ESPN, watched by millions as the Cleveland Browns try to decide who to take at number one. And like Timmy said, lead this new franchise, sort of new, sort of new, kind of franchise, new. Listen, we understand that we just said the Browns had to make an important franchise decision. And of course, it went poorly. Be that as it may, this draft class was stacked, and somehow the Browns still screwed it up. Two of these players went to the Hall of Fame, I'm sorry, I skipped an entire sentence. This draft included 26 future Pro Bowlers, including another six that went undrafted. Two of these players went to the Hall of Fame, including number seven pick from uh, to the Washington cornerback Champ Bailey, and number Georgia four pick, Bulldog legend. Yes, and number four pick to the Colts, Edgerin James from the Boo. U. Boo, boo, boo. In fact, eight of the top ten picks went to the Pro Bowl in their career. Those were Chris McKenna, and by the way. Eight of the top ten, the Browns had one of the two that did not. Those were Chris McAllister of the Ravens, David Boston of Arizona, Torrey Holt of the Rams, Ricky Williams of the Saints, and Donovan McNabb of the Eagles. The three that did not, let's see if you can guess the teams. I got you. I got you. We're going we're gonna to take a deep dive on one of them. Okay. So if you, at home listening to this, if you said Detroit, Cleveland, and those sorry-ass Bengals, you were correct. Number 10 perennial top 10 drafters. Yeah, Cincinnati Bengals are still not good at it. Top 10 was number 10 was Chris yeah. Claypool. Joe Burrow, terrible pick. Number three was Achilles Smith to the Bengals. Yeah, that's not. And number one was Kentucky quarterback Tim Couch. Kentucky quarterback Tim Couch going number one to the Cleveland Browns. Let that be a lesson. Don't ever draft a quarterback from Kentucky at number one. Number two from Syracuse, Donovan McNabb went to Philadelphia where he played pretty damn good, had a great career for himself. Won a Super Bowl, didn't he? No. No, no. got to a Super Bowl. Yeah. But then the Bengals drafted Oregon standout quarterback Achilles Smith at number three. <laughs> During his four seasons in Cincinnati, Smith played in a whopping 22 games starting a grand total of 17. To go with that, he threw for an astonishing 
five touchdowns. That is astonishing, but not for the reasons that you implied. <laughs> to go along with 13 interceptions and 13 fumbles. <laughs> five touchdowns. That's borderline. That's Al Bundy, five in one game. $58 million to throw. Five One, two, three, four, five. Five touchdowns. That's $11 million touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> I love and the think, Bengals. The New Orleans Saints offered Cincinnati nine total draft picks to trade up to the number three spot so they could take Podhead Ricky Williams. If you want to know why Cincinnati sucked for 912 years before Joe Burrow got there, and we'll probably suck again here in another couple. It's because they're full of idiots. True. Yeah, the 90s Bengals was, um, it was Kajana Carter, David Klingler. Like, but always he, top five picks that were shit. They were getting ready to, they, they would do okay with Carson Palmer, but then he's a prima donna, so. Achilles Smith threw as many touchdowns in four years as Booker T won WCW World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> ah. Hey, he averaged 1.2 touchdowns a year. Five. But look, the five Browns just the five. Browns. The Browns could have been fooled here because Couch looked great coming out of college. As a quarterback at Leslie County High School in Kentucky, he set a number of national high school records. Most pass completions at 872, passing yardage 12,104 in high school. And touchdown passes, 132. Only 127 more than Achilles Smith. In but years. to be fair, his team was playing the Cincinnati Bengals every week. <laughs> ESPN ranked Couch as the sixth best high school athlete ever. That's pretty good. Couch's career totals at Kentucky included a completing 67% of his passes for 8,435 yards and 74 touchdowns. That's pretty good in college, too. He also left Kentucky holding NCAA records for the most completions in a season, 400 in 1998. 400 completions in one season. That's a lot. That's throwing the ball 40 times or completing 40 passes a game. Most completions in a two-year period, 793 in 97 the year prior in that one. His 1998 total of 4,275 passing yards was an SEC record until broken by Joe Burrow. Yeah, who got like three extra games to do it in. So, okay. Should have made more bowls. Anyone could have made the mistake. The regular season was 11 games back then. Plus, Joe Burrow got to play in two playoff games and an SEC championship and an extra regular season game of 12. So he had like four more games. Well, let's look at the shut your lips. That was good. I mean, he's no Chris Winkie, but no, he's not. Of course, Chris Winkie was 40 when he entered the league. Chris Winkie got a national championship, too. Speaking of Chris Winkie, we are headed to Box Score Trivia NFL Edition producer. Physical football 
one day. Because you don't trust anyone, or they can misconstrue, misconstrue your word. Just so I won't get fined, boss. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. You like that? I'm the greatest of all time. Ricky Henderson every time gets me. me. <laughs> so let's start. So the reason why we're doing the NFL uh, for box score trivia here in April is because there was nothing in the sports world happening here in April of 99. So let's do passing touchdown leaders for the 99-2000 season. So this would have been the season following the draft. And no, Timmy, the Kelly Smith is not in the top 10 for passing touchdowns. Brett Favre. Brett Favre. Tied for eighth with 22. By the way, the goal here is six. There's a lot of gimmies here on this list. That's Randall cool. Cunningham. Randall Cunningham. That was 98, I think, he blew up with the, the Vikings. Uh-huh. Or 97. One of the two. Dante Culpepper. No. No, he got drafted that year. And he set. Behind Jeff no. George, I think. Yeah. John Elway. John Elway. Believe it or not, no. Actually, I think Elway retired here in 99. Dan Marino was retired. A lot of gimmies on this list, huh, TJ? Well, I mean, you guys have stuck with one conference, and you guys need to... Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman. Survey says no. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Number three, 26. There's two. Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson of Washington here at the time. Tied for fourth with 24. There's three. Did we win? No, we got to get six. Uh, Mark (laughs) Brunel. That's an excellent guess, but no. So we've got, see which ones you're missing. Buffalo, New England, Kansas City. Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie tied for 10th with 19. That's four. Seattle. Uh, 99. Uh, what's his name? Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner led the league with 41. There's five. Um, Carolina. This guy's Trent a, Green. This guy's been on a different uh, box score trivia here for passing. Uh, Trent Green, no. He wasn't at Kansas City yet? Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe tied with Doug Flutie at 10 with 19. There's six. Here's the rest of your top 10. You're tied welcome, with ben. Favre with eighth of Kansas City, Elvis Gerback. With I almost said Elvis Gerback. Did you? I was going to. Oh. I tied was thinking for, about it. Tied for six with 23 of the Minnesota Vikings. I actually said him and didn't even realize it. Jeff George. Jeff George. And then tied with him was John Kitna of the Seattle Seahawks. Cincinnati Bengals legend, John Kitna. Mm, sure. Legendary in Cincinnati. Yeah, great. Tied for fourth with Brad Johnson was Rich Gannon of Oakland. And number two of the Carolina Panthers, Steve Berline, had 36. I think Achilles Smith had two that year. And Dave, I don't think he had two. John Kitna is a Cincinnati Bengals legend. He led us to our first non losing record in like 14 years or something. That's legendary. (laughs) Go Trent Dilfer. All right. (laughs) Hey, Trent Dilfer got a Super Bowl. No, he didn't win that Super Bowl. He got one, though. But he didn't win it. Brad Johnson's got one. He won. He didn't win it either. Let's move on to Let's rushing. Some legend, Brad Johnson, bitch. <laughs> Let's go on to rushing touchdown leaders for 99-2000. Let's see. I think I think four is reasonable here. And By the Anderson way, there is guy. a quarterback on this list. Anderson. 
Butch Anderson. Uh, there Jamal, are no Jamal Anderson. Anderson. There's no Andersons on the list. Oh. Uh, 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 Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk. No. Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith, number four of the Dallas Cowboys with 11. Corey Dillon. Um, Eddie George. Eddie George. Tied for sixth with Tennessee with nine. Who did you say? Corey Dillon. No. So there's two of the four. Um, I'm really wondering how many touchdowns the Bengals scored in, in 1999. Jerome Bettis. Ten is what the they bus. Scored. Jerome Bettis. No, that's weird. Huh. Barry Sand. No, he's gone. Mike Allstock. No. Again, there is there's a, a quarterback on this. There's list? a quarterback on this list. He's no, he's tied for ninth. Randall Cunningham. Nope. Him and his running back are on this list, and you already named his running back. Um, yeah, I was gonna say him. He got shot and killed by his girlfriend. Oh, uh, Steve McNair. McNair. Steve McNair tied for ninth of the Tennessee Titans with eight. Yeah. There's um, three. One more. Let's see. Oakland, Kansas City. Priest Holmes. No, Bo New Jackson. England, New England. Green Bay. Arizona. Minnesota. Dorsey Jacksonville. Levens. Dorsey Levins tied with six of the Green Bay Packers with nine. Here's the rest of your top ten. Tied for ninth. All with eight. Terry Allen of the New England Patriots. Magnum TA? Magnum TA. Danelle Bennett of the Kansas City Chiefs. And Tyrone Wheatley of the Oakland Raiders. Tied for six with Dorsey Levins and Eddie George. Mario Bates from the Arizona Cardinals. In fifth for the Minnesota Vikings is Leroy Horde. Ah. Tied for second. With 13 is Edgerin James and James Stewart. Edgerin James was around then? No, he was drafted that year. Didn't he read the notes? <laughs> and your leader with 17 rushing touchdowns from Washington, Stephen Davis. Oh, Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis. We're going to go. We're going to finish up here with sacks. Let's see how many of these you guys should get. Uh, we'll go three. We'll go three here. Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp, sixth place with 12 and a half of the. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Takeo Spike. No, you say that every week and no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> there are no Jared Allen. on this list. So apparently you guys just didn't do shit the entire year on either side of the Jared list. Allen. Jared Allen, no. Excellent guess, though. Was Michael he Strahan. Yet? Michael Strahan, no. That's kind of surprising. Reggie White? Reggie White, no. Mm-mm. Peppers, Julius Peppers. Nope. Let's see, there's a Raven, a Ray, Ray Lewis. Lewis. Nope. A Panther, a Colt, a Jaguar, a Bronco, a Titan, a Lion. Bill Romanowski. No Romanowski. Tony Saragusa. Nope. Shit. <laughs> Saragusa, they have one job, and that was just to take up as many blockers as he possibly could. Um, Damn, this is a hard one. Did you say Viking? No. Jared it's Allen? Really not, it's really not. When when I'm on my, my own read these names, you're going to be like, what the hell? No Jared Allen, then? No. No. Say the teams again. Baltimore, Carolina, Indianapolis, Jacksonville. 
Denverini, nope, Tennessee, Detroit, Arizona, and St. Louis. Javon Curse. Javon Curse tied for four. I'm sorry, not tied for fourth, just fourth. 14 and a half. There's still, you need one more. Fed Ray Lewis. No stray hand. Nope. That that one's kind of bizarre to me. No Terrell Suggs. He's not on here either. He's not in the league yet. Um, it's not. No it's not a well-known Raven. He 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 was one of the ones I didn't expect you to get. No Steelers. No. The former Steeler on here. Mean Joe Green. Yep. Kevin Green. Kevin Green tied for seventh of the Carolina Panthers. Oh yeah. Here's the rest of your top 10. At number 10 from Baltimore, Michael McCrary with 11 and a half. Tied I love him on American Idol. Yep. Tied for seventh with Kevin Green, Tony Brackens, and Chad Bratsky of the Indianapolis Break my heart. Number five from Denver, Trevor Price at 15. Say you love me again. <laughs> number three of the Detroit Lions with 15, Robert Porsche. He's been on this list before. I love his cars. Pronounced porch. No, actually, it's spelled porcher, but it's pronounced Porsche. It's Porsche. a car. No, that's Porsche. In second place of the Arizona Cardinals with 16 and a half, Simeon Rice. Ah. And your league leader from the St. Louis Rams. <laughs> Almost said Simeon Rice. Uh, was 17, Kevin Carter was your league leader. Simeon Kevin Rice, Co- Tampa Buccaneer legend, Simeon Rice. And then. While playing for the Cardinals. Yep. Yep. He was already blazing trails to the Buccaneers. Let's drop the sports. Let's head over to the rainforest. We're going to head to New York City with a peacock in one hand. The rainforest of New York City. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I think. When I think when I think rainforest, I think Radio or Carnegie Hall. It's time to head to New York City with a peacock in one hand and your checkbook in the other, as we're going to head to the Rock for the Rainforest benefit at Carnegie Hall. This year's I mean, this is actually a good list of shows. I shouldn't shit on it. Is Sting, Elton John, James Taylor, Billy Joel, Tony Bennett, Don Henley, Ricky Martin, and Charles Aznavour. I don't know who that is. Believe it or not, this old, Chuck. Started, old, old Chuck. Old Charlie Hustle over there. Believe it or not, this benefit started in 1991. And the last one was in 2016, all of which have been in Carnegie Hall. Because when I think rainforest preservation, I think New York City. You know how to get to Carnegie Hall? No idea. Practice. I was going to let you sit in that for a second. The first one in 1991 raised $250,000 and had Sting, Elton John, Antonio Carlos Jabim, Catano Veloso, and Bilberto Gill. In fact, Sting has been in every single one. The only artist to do... I know I butchered the names. It's fine. He's the only artist to do that, and there's a good reason for it. And James Taylor has been to all but two. Elton John has been to all of them but five. The concert is a benefit held by the Rainforest Foundation Fund and Rainforest Foundation, Foundation U.S. because if the U.S. is known for anything, it's our sprawling rainforest. Why has Sting been in everyone? Well, him and his wife, Trudy Styler, founded the organization, which seems like cheating. The event holds the Guinness World Record for the largest environmental fundraising event. By 2004, more than $20 million had been raised through corporate sponsorships along with individual and group ticket sales. The concert was considered a springtime tradition in New York City and even saw the Empire State Building lit green during the nighttime portion of the show, 
1997 and 2006. The concert funds projects that benefit indigenous peoples of the world, of the world's rainforest through three national organizations, Rainforest Foundation Norway, Rainforest Foundation US, and Rainforest Foundation UK. Those are the three locations that I really think about when we say rainforest. Mm-hmm. They all have rainforest cafes. Yes. I do Those like rainforest shitty. cafe. Those are gross. All right, TJ. <laughs> so Sting is the only person to be at every event, so let's talk Sting. Okay. He is regarded as one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, having cultivated a legacy what? over a what? career spanning no. five. No. No, 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 no. I'll be watching you, Sting, not... Fuck. Not this one. All right. Well, skip all my notes then. Let's just move on to the next story. Yeah. So if you're uh if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I want to research more about the whatever concert we just talked about, that's everything. So don't bother. April 20th. We have a sad story here as one of the all-time greats known to the world as ravishing Rick Rude passed away at age 40 from an accidental overdose overdose. Luckily, it seems like this trend. This awful wave of wrestlers' death from OD has subsided over the years. This was a common story in the late 90s and early 2000s. We often discuss the most underrated this and the most underappreciated that. Bottom line, Rick Root should be on anyone's left list if he's not the single most underutilized talent of our lifetime. Sure, he was in the main event in the WWF with the Ultimate Warrior. Sure, he was the heavyweight champion in WCW. But Root could have been the top heel at any given time from 1988 to 1994. And we never did get a Rick Rude babyface run. Rude got his start after training with Eddie Sharkey and debuting at Mid-Atlantic as Ricky Rude on November 6, 1982. Then he went to Vancouver, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Continental Wrestling in Memphis before ending up at Championship Wrestling from Florida in his first extended run in 1984. Not only did he get his first run here, he was managed by Percy Pringle, a.k.a. the future Paul Bearer. Oh, yes! Thank you. In 1985, he beat Pez Watley for the NWA Florida Southern Heavyweight title before losing it to Brian Blair three months later. Two months after he dropped it, he won a tournament last beating Mike Graham to win the title back and held it for another three months when he lost it to Wahoo McDaniel. 74-year-old Wahoo McDaniel. He then went to World Class for a year, then Jim Crockett Promotions for a year before heading to the WWF in 1987 making his debut on Superstars on July 15th, 1987, as a member of the Heenan family. At the time of his death, at the age of 40, Rude was actually training for an in-ring wrestling return. He had made his last appearance in WCW just 15 days prior to his death after a stint as a member of the NWO, where he managed lifelong friend Kurt Hennig. One of the most impressive feats in wrestling, Root actually appeared on an episode of Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro the same night. He was also on ECW the same week. Same week he was on ECW. Yep. While Raw was pre-recorded six days earlier, Rude, then a member of D-Generation X, appeared and did, it, and did his normal duties with the group. Which is stood there. <laughs> Over yeah. on Nitro, Rude also appeared as the newest member of the NWO and proceeded to criticize Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, DX, and the WWF calling the company Titanic, a reference to Titan Sports as WWF's parent company was then known as a sinking ship. You have to think about this. Rude was very good friends with Bret Hart, and this was right after the Montreal yep. Screwdrop, so Rude quit because he was pissed at how it went down. Mm-hmm. 
While Rude never officially won the WWF or WCW World Heavyweight Championships, he did win the the WCW International World Heavyweight Champion on three occasions. So technically, he is known as a former world champion. As TJ said, Rick Rude is definitely one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. WWF really screwed up by never letting someone like Rude win their world title and keeping the belt on all faces for the majority of his run with the company. This is something that we will discuss in depth this week on Legends. Let's rethink this. In 1976, Rude married his love interest, Cheryl Holler. The couple later divorced in 82, and Rude married his second wife, Michelle, in 1988, and the couple remained together until his death in 99. They had three children together, Richard Jr., Marissa, and Colton. His younger son, Colton, died on September 3rd, 2016, in a motorcycle accident in Rome, Georgia, at the age of 19. Mm. A lot of tragedy here. Yeah. Bret Hart has stated that in spite of the ravishing one persona, Rude was a devoted family man who never took his wedding ring off, even during matches, but instead covered it up with tape. Good move. I like it. On March 6, 2017, it was announced that Rick Rude would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Rightly deserved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. we, we're going to... I can't wait for our Legends talk, because that's going to be good. And obviously, Rude's going to be a big part of that. And the reason why I'm uh, stalling is because I don't want to talk about the next thing, even though everyone is aware of it. But it, it's just... It's still... All right, so... Let's just go ahead and talk about the story, because it's... Don't want to talk about it, but we need to. Need to be reminded of once in a while. April 20th, the single most foundation-shattering events in this nation's history happened on April of 1999, and that is the mass shooting at Columbine High School. I was 14 years old at this time, and it completely uh, changed how teenagers acted in school, as well as how they perceived each other, and that is not an exaggeration. The terror at Columbine School lasted 39 minutes, from 11.19 a.m. to 12.08 p.m., but the impact of it lasted forever. The two terrorists involved were Eric Harris, an 18-year-old out of Wichita, Kansas, and Dylan Klebold, a 17-year-old from Lakewood, Colorado. And I, by the way, I do believe it was important to call them terrorists, because that's what they are. In 1996, the 15-year-old Harris began writing a blog on AOL, describing him sneaking out of his house, vandalizing property, and lighting off fireworks with friends, one of which was D- Dylan Klebold. He was also using this site to host games of Doom, Doom 2, and Quake, which are all intensely violent first-person shooter games. Listen, I'm a giant video game dork. If you watch the video of this, you can see him right over my shoulder. And I'm not one of these people who thinks that video games leads to violence. I think that's just an excuse. But it is still part of his life. He is playing these just wildly violent games. As 1997 went on with his blog, his anger towards society started to materialize as these feelings began to make themselves known. Directions on how to make a bomb showed up on his blog. Then in August of 1997, he ended the blog with the following line. All I want to do is kill and injure as many of you as I can, especially a few people like Brooks Brown. Brown was a classmate of his. And once Brown's parents found out, they contacted the police on August 7th, 1997. That saw an investigator write an affidavit requesting a search warrant for the Harris home, but it was never submitted to a judge. The shooting was planned as a terrorist attack that would cause the most deaths in U.S. history, but the motive has never been ascertained with any degree of certainty. 
In a letter provided with the May 15th report on the Columbine attack, Sheriff John Stone and Under Sheriff John Dunaway wrote, they cannot answer the most fundamental question, why? In the days following the event, media speculation regarding the killer motive was rife. Media reports were disseminated against various motives of the killers, although all theories were largely, were largely unsubstantiated and turned out to be myths. These reports included blaming bullying, goth culture, video games, Marilyn Manson, and even targeting jocks and minorities. The FBI concluded that the killers had mental illnesses, that Harris was a clinical psychopath, and that Klebold had depression. Dwayne Fuchler, the supervisor in charge of the Columbine investigation, would later remark, I believe Eric went to school to kill and didn't care if he died. Why Dylan wanted to die and didn't care if others died as well. In all, 12 students and one teacher lost their lives for no reason at all. 17-year-old Rachel Scott, 15-year-old Daniel Rawborough, 16-year-old Kyle Velasquez, 14-year-old Stephen Kernow, 17-year-old Cassie Bernal, 18-year-old Isaiah Schultz, 16-year-old Matthew Ketcher, 18-year-old Lauren Townsend, 16-year-old John Tomlin, 16-year-old Kelly Fleming, 15-year-old Daniel Mauser, 17-year-old Corey DePooter, and 47-year-old teacher William Sanders. While I saw this tragedy unfold, the film Bowling for Columbine kind of really knocked it home for me because it kind of went in depth to, to these kids and, and what they were thinking at the time. Uh, the film's title refers to the story that Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were both supposed to be attending bowling class 6 a.m. that day and then committed the attacks at 11.17. In the film, Moore had discussions with South Park co-creator Matt Stone because he's from that area. The NRA's president, Charlton Heston, which completely goes off the rails there. And musician Marilyn Manson, like you said, was kind of blamed for it. He seeks to explain why the Columbine massacre occurred and why the United States' violent crime rate is substantially higher than those in other nations. Dave, I know you'll probably take issue because I can't see you being a big Michael Moore fan, but I kind of needed this in my life at the time to kind of explain what was happening, but it allowed me to judge for myself. I'm not going to get political on it. I, I have feelings both ways about it. I think these kids had serious mental illness and mm -hmm. yes. it caused ridiculous amounts of death. Yeah. I mean, I agree. <clears throat> Michael Moore and I don't agree on much, but there was obviously a, a very large problem here that was missed. Yeah. And I and, don't know if it's a gun problem, but it definitely, and it could have been even worse if they really knew what they were doing in terms of the bombs that were supposed to go off. This would have been way worse. Thankfully, yes. Yes. thankfully, their bomb making skills were not up to par and the bombs did no real damage to anything or anybody. But what was supposed to happen was bombs were supposed to go off, killing people and causing a complete ruckus. And then the people would be running towards them as they had the guns shooting them. And then there were supposed to be more bombs that were supposed to go off in the parking lot to kill news personnel and medical personnel and police officers as well. So this could have been really bad. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate in in ways that 
I mean, the vast majority of us will never understand what it's like to have your child mowed down by two psychopath kids in a high school. Because but it's that's, still I mean, happening. That's, that's it's, this it's still happening. It, this this wasn't the first one, right? This was the first one in of a of a major time period in our lives. So this was the first one that we remember in our in our lives, and you hear about it much more. Every year, things are happening. And I, for one, myself, as a parent with children in schools, as a gun owner, as someone who is a very staunch supporter of the Second Amendment, there are some gun laws that I do support. And having two children that go to school, and the school is not far from my house, guess what I've done? I've been to my kid's school during the school day. And I've tried to get into that building in other ways than the front door where you have to be rung in. Call me crazy, but I worry about my kids at school all the time. I tell my kids every morning, come home to me. My, every morning. My daughter is a second grader. Yep. And they recently installed metal detectors at the doors of an elementary school. It only goes up to third grade. And they had to install metal detectors but you never know i mean hell there was a kid i don't remember where it was i think it was in georgia a few weeks ago shot his teacher and he mm -hmm. was like fourth grade yeah it's and sad. my kid comes home all the time my my fourth grader comes home all the time talking about how messed there's a kid in her class with some severe mental issues and a lot of it is on i mean a lot of it is on the parents and a big problem that we have these days is yeah, I'll be the first to admit the no child left behind policy that was started under George Bush. Absolute horrible. But a lot of these kids, we brought concerns to the school ourselves as parents. And a lot of kids no longer get suspended from schools or anything like that. They can't. Where we live, a lot of kids, the only meals they get these days mm -hmm. are when they go to school and eat school yeah. breakfast and have school lunch. Yeah. And, you know, kids were getting free lunches up and you know, up until this year, ever since COVID hit. Yep, same. I have no problem paying for kids that are hungry to eat. Yes. None. There are certain things that I do have issues with about paying for in my taxes or this, that, and the other. Paying for kids to eat, I will never have an issue. You can raise my taxes all you want if it's going to a good cause and it's feeding children or taking care of people that are needy. Yes. And Agreed. you hate to see kids that are put into any kind of situation because of problems at home and kids that are getting beaten by their parents, kids that are severely neglected by their parents, kids that are being fed because the parents are high on drugs, spending money on drugs, spending money on gambling, doing other things other than taking care of the children that they have. And a lot of this and a lot of the issues we have in this world starts at home. Correct. And people need to pay attention to their children and stop trying to be your kid's best fucking friend. Yep. I tell my kids all the time, every day I love them. My kids know I love them more than anything in this world. If it came down to saving one of my kids and me dying, guess what, buddy? Dave's gone. Kids. Dave's yep. gone. And I wouldn't think twice about it. I would hate to run. So, but... You know, there's a lot of people out here that don't think that way. Sure. They don't care. And I mean, you see a lot of kids, you've seen videos online now, people beating up their parents. 
kids beating up other kids, kids doing this. I mean, it all starts at home. People have got to figure it out. And no, I do not beat my children, but I don't have to. I I can put enough fear in my kids by raising my voice and doing whatever I need to that that it's fine. And yes, my wife and I make good money. We, we have a little bit better of things in life. We have a higher quality of life and what we can provide for ourselves and our children. But I am very active in my kid's life. And I make sure that I talk to my children every day. When they come in off school, the first thing they do when they get off the school bus every day is they hightail it into the house, go right into the kitchen, open up the snack drawer and get snacks. And guess what? As soon as they get in this house, we sit right down and we talk about, hey, what are the good things that happened to you today at school? Why were those good things? What, what was it that happened that you really liked at school today? What was it that, that happened at school today that you didn't like? How did you react to that? This is things that I do every day without even thinking about it or being like, oh, I don't want to hear what they have to say. I don't want to hear kids bitching. I don't want to hear about other kids being idiots. I take the time out of my day every day to listen to my children and to ask them questions so I know what's going on in their lives. We as parents have to step up and, and be a cause of wanting our kids to do well in school, to do well in lives, in their lives, and to be good people. I tell my kids all the time, the best thing you could ever do is be a good person. Mm-hmm. And the problem and, is too many parents don't. Right. And you never know what kind of day someone's ha- having. Right. Yes, I know I can be abrasive. I can be an asshole. And I would probably fight Mike Tyson if I got drunk enough. <laughs> but I am a very active parent. And I would like to think that the people that I hang out with and the people that I associate myself with are the same. Because I demand it. If I think a kid is a little shithead and their parents are enabling it, guess what? My kids ain't hanging out with them. It's over. If Mm -hmm. I don't like you as a parent or your parenting style, my children will have nothing to do with your kid. I don't give a fuck. Because I'm not going to be a parent who raises sociopaths and assholes and kids that are all fucked up because you don't know how to do your job at home. And that's where it starts. It all starts at home. My kids know there's guns in the house. Guess what? They fucking know better. They don't touch my shit. My kids know that you're not allowed in my bedroom. Why? Because daddy said that's the only reason. You don't come in my bedroom. When we have big gatherings and large amounts of people over at my house, they can go in and out of anywhere they want to in this house. One room is off limits. You stay the fuck out of Dave and Jandy's room. That's the rule. You know why? I don't need people rifling around my shit, and it's none of their business. But that's the way I keep it safe. My kids, they know about gun safety. They're young. They're seven. They're nine. They know about gun safety. They know don't touch daddy's guns. They know if they see something that's not right, you tell daddy. My nine-year-old has no problem telling me everything under the sun. And I've raised her to be that way. If there's a problem and you don't know how to handle it or you think there's a question to it, you come tell me. Daddy will take care of it or daddy will get you out of the situation. More parents need to step up. Guess what? When my kids get mad at me, I don't give a fuck. You're going to get over it. 
You're going to want to eat at some point. You're going to come talk to me while we're eating. And we'll ha- we'll hash it out right there. People need to stop trying to be their kids' friends and be the bad guy. I have no problem being the bad guy when it comes to my kids if I have to be the bad guy over something. But we're going to do it my way while you're living under my roof and in my house, and we're going to do it the right way. I may have my issues, and I'm damn sure not perfect. But I'm doing my best I can to raise the most perfect children in the world because this world has enough assholes in it, and we don't need any more. Including Dave. Yep. And that's been Dave's Parenting Minute. I... This is episode 100 we're recording right now. That might have been the best conversation we've ever had on the show. Guess what? I'm a parent who has no problem taking his seven-year-old and his nine-year-old out to dinner, to the grocery store, to Target, to the mall, or whatever. You know why? We don't play that shit. You're not going to act like an asshole and think you're going to get your way if I say no. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not going to throw a fit. You throw a fit and see what happens in my fucking house. I'll rip your TV off the wall. I'll break your iPad over my knee and I'll take your little cell phone and I'll chuck it into the fucking lake. Think I'm playing. My kids know better. I don't play that shit. My wife doesn't either. My wife's meaner than I am when it comes to this shit. (laughs) I am not going to raise two little assholes. My kids are going to be good and they're going to be respectful. And they've already learned that, hey, guess what? We're moving to the South. Guess what your ass is going to be doing in the South? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, no, ma'am. That's how we fucking roll. People need to teach their kids not to be fucking dickbags. And you know what? You need to teach kids not to be bullies and shit, too. Correct. We're at it. Correct. That's that's, that's the uh, bigger issue right now to me. There's Don't be bullied. Are, Don't get bullied, either. There there are kids that are just flat dicks right now. And, yes. yeah. and I tell my nine-year-old knows. She's excited about moving because there's been issues at her school. There's been a lot of crazy kids doing stuff, whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if you don't like something or you don't like somebody, there's ways to go about other than ridicule and being a dick. Mm-hmm. Learn it because you may need it one day. I know my parents told me, and I'm going to have the same philosophy now, obviously with Jack, that's not the case, but with Piper, it'll be the same thing that, you know, if, if you're, if you're defending yourself, I will never get upset about it. Nope. Don't stand there and take that shit. Yep. But I like, I mean, I also have no problems going to jail for my children. Oh, no. No. <laughs> you can bury me under that motherfucker. I don't care. Well, you just said you would be willing to die. I would think jail yep. is probably so, a little lower on the list. I mean, you guys heard. I mean, there's a clip of I'll hit that motherfucker with a shovel. You yep. guys have heard it. We've all heard it. I don't yep. play that game. You're going to fuck with my kids. And I mean, my wife and my kids are off limits. We don't go there. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for any of them. And I think anybody that really knows me, no, I'm no, I'm serious as a heart attack. We don't play these games. (laughs) Dave, you're serious about that? Really? I I watched him try to fight Schomburg one night. So. And it had nothing to do with his wife or kids. It had to do with the damn young bucks. Yeah, that was the young bucks. So I can only imagine what he'd do for his wife and kids. Right. All right. Bring us back, TJ. All right. I can't. That was great. I, I really enjoyed that. Let us know what you think in the comments and reviews. And I, I can't think of an easier way to transition than just hit the clip. That means it's my turn. Mm. Let's go to Timmy's Trivioke. I'm walking outside. Hey. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
raise this mood up a little bit you guys ready yes tj you're gonna be terrible at this i can't wait thank you for getting me excited (laughs) song number one clue number one this song is the lead single off of eminem's first album the slim shady lp my name is tj wins hi my name is what my name is who? Slim Shady. Hit the clip. That's my girl, dog. I don't give a damn. Dre sent me to take the world off. Hi, my name is. What? My name is. My name is. Slim Shady. I love. Eminem was great when he first came out. He's still. I didn't think it for a minute. I was thinking the second album. So I was thinking the way I am. Hmm. But I was like, I ah, know that came out in 2000, I think. So, And the lead single off that album was uh, The Way I Am. No, it was uh, Two Trailer Park Girls Go Around the Outside. No, that was the, the third album. That was the Eminem show. Was it? Yeah. I, I remember watching, and I, to this day, I never understood why this happened. But for some reason, they had Eminem on ESPN in the college football booth. I think their Michigan State was playing somebody. Yeah, and he was pretending to be high. As he just the whole time is this. I don't think he was pretending. No, he Florida was. Florida State won the national championship that year. Just he said he said it after the show. He was pretending. He was oh. pretending. Yeah, he came out and said it. All right, song number two. This is the crux of the Indiana Fatty story. This is a song by American rapper Jay Z featuring Ja Rule and Emil, and it was released originally on the Rush Hour soundtrack. Oh, oh, I know it. Oh, it also appeared on volume two, the hard knock life as the first single off that album. Fuck. What's the name of this song? Clue number two, Janet Jackson's 2004 song, strawberry bounce from her album. Demita Joe samples it. I think I even have it in my head, but I can't remember the name of it. Can't think of the name of it. Clue number three. The chorus of the original song starts with Can I get a fuck you? Can I get it a was censored whoop, whoop. to Can I get a what what? Yep, got it. Can I get a whoop, whoop. from all my ladies oh, who yeah. love the yes. out of it? Can I yeah. get a whoop, whoop. Yeah. Throw it to the clip. I hit it in the morning without giving you half of my dough. And even worse, if I was broke, would you want me? If I couldn't get you find the things like all of them diamond ring bitches kill for. Yes. Can I get a what? what? That song was huge because I was, was. On, I was on spring break this year, my sophomore year of college. And in the clubs in PCB, it was played all over and helped me get Indiana fatties back to the beach. Yeah. Song number three, clue number one. This song is by the American rock band Creed, and it is the fourth single off its 1997 album, My Own Prison. 
is it is it my own no that was later in the in the album um no, they, this was the last song released off that album um shit clue number two the song decries racial tension in a modern What's society this life for and nope close though one and quote discrimination uh, now on both sides what'd you say dave one, one. correct yeah, dave got that one i like creed Lord gonna, three, this, is, yeah. this is not the song by metallica of the same name uh-huh. producer hit the clip Was that from Woodstock '99? Yes, I was just gonna say. Thank God they were one of the first acts that yeah. my my buddy went to that. Holy shit! Because imagine like yeah, how great that would have been until it got destroyed. Yeah, I was, he said he said it was really good the first day, and then it it turned to shit. Yeah, literally. But can could you imagine? Like it's the fourth day. That's what the day like they started burning shit down. Was day four? Imagine like. Corn, because corn started that day off. So imagine corn plays, and then like two bands later, Creed comes out. They'd be like, "What the fuck is going on out here?" <laughs> you got corn and Limp Biscuit and Kid. Oh, and Creed. Creed. Limp Limp Biscuit was kind of where that shit started to unravel. Yeah. That uh, what was uh break shit? They said is when. Yeah. Have you it, seen Kid Rock there come out with his fucking pimp coat? Yeah. yeah. Oh my! There's nothing better than Kid Rock, and Creed's coming up here. We have a big week-long concert event every august you know it's not with scott staff right did i say creed i meant limp biscuit yeah. oh no. yeah, limp biscuit uh so it's called the mississippi valley fair they have the at the fairgrounds over at davenport kid rock was there last year and this year is the main show's limp biscuit mississippi's at, way south mississippi valley fair we live on the mississippi river here stupid it's true so Mississippi River starts. I told Jandy, I said we can't move till after this because I want to go see Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've never seen Limp Biscuit live, and Same. I saw them. Was it last year when Fred they did a concert because Fred yes. just had his old white hair? Yes, that was. I fucking loved Limp Biscuit. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan of Limp Biscuit. God, I love Limp Biscuit, and there's that Coachella. He came back. It was. Yeah. Limp Biscuit concert to see them live even now, dude. I'm fucking there. So if I have a chance to come back up here to see Limp Biscuit or to go anywhere else and see Limp Biscuit, I am fucking there. Well, if you're going to that, let me know and I I will join you. Yeah, it'll probably be like a Tuesday night, but you know what? All in, bud. I'll take it off. Yep. When is so, it? It's it I have to look and see. Let me see here. Uh Limp Biscuit. While we're uh, while we're waiting for that, why don't we um Mississippi Valley Fair, Hardy, Sam Hunt, Limp Biscuit to perform. Sam Hunt and Limp Biscuit. That could not be further across the spectrum. Oh, I like Sam Hunt too, though. Usually it's all, it's for years and years and years, it was all just country shit. And now they're starting to bring in the rock. So Sam Hunt scheduled for August 1st, Limp Biscuit August 5th, and Hardy on August 6th. August 5th. They haven't announced the. The fourth Saturday. It's a Saturday. I'm in. I'm in. This gets on a Saturday. I'm in. So if I can get up here for that, I am fucking going. Dave's buying tickets. We're going. It's a riot. I'm going to uh, watch Limbisca and eat a corn dog. That's what I'm going to do. 
Yeah. Like K-O-R-N, dog? You can eat Fuck. a corn dog the long way. <laughs> Is there another way you eat it? <laughs> you nibble, side. and then yeah. them, them. Go to your clip. Please. Please. <laughs> time for movies, producer. Oh, it's time for Dave's Faves. Have you seen it? Our life together? When do we ever have a life together? Come on, Sporto. Level with me. You slipper the hot beef injection. Go to hell! Nah. <laughs> What's going on? A sink Huh? Cowabunga! I waited for the uh, at the end. What the hell? <laughs> All right, we have four movies this week. We're tied at zero zero because it's the start of a new month. I'm winning. No, it's a tie. Yes, yeah, stupid. No. <laughs> okay, our first movie. We are in April of 1999. Our first movie was released March 31st with a budget of $63 million. And brought in more than four hundred and sixty-seven million dollars at the box office. Wowzers! When a beautiful stranger leads a computer hacker to a forbidding world, he discovers the shocking truth. Enemy of the state. The Matrix. The Matrix. Danny wins. Which pill will you take? The red pill, which will, will reveal the truth, or the blue pill, which will make you forget about everything and return to your normal life. Timmy. Hit the clip. I know Kung Fu. Show me. More hits is fighting Neo. I want to know Kung Fu. Now I want to watch The Matrix. I've only ever seen the first one. The, 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 second, the second one's okay. The third one's awful. <clears throat> I saw the first one. It was good. That was senior year. So 99, April 99, I was getting ready to graduate high school. So life was uh, fun. I was at my last year of middle school in 99. I was pork in Indiana fatties. Yeah. <clears throat> on the beach. It was on a beach. All right. <laughs> Movie number B. Our second movie this week is an American buddy comedy drama, which flopped. Rush Hour. Making only $73 million worldwide on a budget of $80 million. Whoops. <laughs> In 1997, at the Mississippi State Penitentiary, elderly convict Willie Long tells his friend's life story at his burial. Ray Gibson and Claude Banks, New Yorkers from different worlds, meet at a club called Spanky's in 1932. Ray, a small-time thief, picks Claude as a mark. Ray convinces club owner Spanky to let him and Claude pay off their debt via bootlegging. Um, Oh, brother, where art thou? Close. Traveling south to buy Mississippi hooch, they pay for their booze and enter a local bar. Ray loses his father's prized pocket What's the watch name of him? to card hustler Winston Hancock. Outside, racist sheriff Warren Pike kills Hancock, framing Ray and Claude. This movie stars Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Oh, um, shit. 
I have no idea. It's a uh, one-word title. Four letters, one word. Time. J what? Five, four, three, two, one. Life. Life. Look, I don't, I don't need you to, to, to take up for me. I'm all right. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I can handle it. If you that. let him add your cornbread, you're going to be adding his drawers and clipping his Tony. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I might have to watch that. It's a good movie. All right, movie number C this week. It's an American romantic comedy that made more than $84 million at the box office on a budget of just $25 million. Josie Geller is an insecure 25-year-old copy editor for the, for the Chicago Sun-Times who has never had a real relationship. One day, her editor-in-chief assigns her to report undercover at a high school oh, to um, help parents become more aware of their children's lives. Hmm. Hint, Josie Grossi. This movie stars Drew Barrymore and David Arquette. Never been kissed. Never been kissed. Timmy up to nothing. Hit the clip. Rom-coms are not my thing. You might not get this last one then. Great. Our last movie this week grossed more than $60 million on a budget of only $13 million. A pretty and popular teenager named Bianca can't go on a date until her ill-tempered older sister Kat does. NXT 2.0. For $500, mysterious bad boy Patrick has been hired to go out with Kat and break her heart by the end of the school year. I hate everything about you. Close. While Patrick Ten things hates, I hate about you. Ten things I hate about you. Timmy wins three to nothing. Got it confused with it. It's really song. sad that Timmy actually knows all these Drew Barrymore movies. That's what's upsetting. That was not a Drew Barrymore movie. Things of that ilk. <laughs> Stars Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I, I have not seen any of those movies. You, it's a great movie, Matrix. actually. It actually really is a good movie. Hit the clip. Who knew Julia Stiles was that hot? Oof. And this was just before Julia Stiles, Stiles made a career choice to start making shit. Save Started doing all those dance movies. Save the Last Dance. I saw that in the theater with my girlfriend, and it was horrible. Well, it was not even that one. That what was the Did you get uh, an HJ though? Yes, I got a okay. BJ on the way home in the car ride. Look at that! Wow, geez, twofer. Um, I got an was, HJ during Toy Story. What was that? Um, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even lying. So there you go. I was surrounded by children. So Woody and Buzz really turned me on. <laughs> there was um I love that was, dinosaur. What was those stupid <laughs> dance movies they started doing in like 05? Save the last in? dance. She was wasn't, in. wasn't like those where the dance off started. Yeah, like me, and Dave, me and like Dave that. are gonna do one. At our what was the name event? of that movie? Step up. Step up. Yeah. yeah. Step up or step out or step hens. Step hens. 
Well, um, I kind of want to step out and not cover the show, but we have to. This is WCW Thunder from April 15th, 1999. Your announcers are Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco, and we are live from Orlando, Florida. Tanay brings us in to start the show and runs down what we're going to see, and none of it's good, including the new, <laughs> the new WCW World Champion DDP. Well, I mean, that part's good. That was it, though. Hollywood Hogan's hurt, and uh, Steiner was hurt, Nash was hurt, and how is it possible that Larry Zabisco never uh, announced again to any major degree after his run in WCW? I know he was in for a cup of coffee and TNA, but he's so good. Why didn't I don't understand? I don't know that he wanted to. I think he may have just stepped away a bit. Well, he is like 80 now, so yeah. He would have been he was like, you know, I'm 60. I'm done here. He might have just said fucking him out. Well, I mean, TNA was appealing to a lot of people because it was only in uh, Tennessee. So match one. Vampiro, dressed like a battle goddess from 1150, takes on Buff Bagwell. Buff has just left Scott Steiner and denounced the uh, the NWO and is attempting it on his own in WCW. Bagwell starts this match off like Della Bill Dave would have, mocking the martial arts style and marking Vampiro in general. They're, they're trying to build up Vampiro while establishing Bagwell as a babyface, meaning that this match went too long. Finally, Buff hits the blockbuster for the win. If I voluntarily ever turn on my TV to watch wrestling and it's a Vampiro match, I think I'm going to switch the channel. Absolutely. I've never understood the appeal of Vampiro. Never understood this guy or got his gimmick at all. This match went way too long with all the hubbub before it even locked up. I think Buff Bagwell did karate poses for like five minutes. Absolutely. (laughs) Buff right here, peak physical condition for him. He was in good shape, man. Mm -hmm. His haircut... Not so much. It oh, you looked, like his bangs? It looked, it, you, and the back was cut like a V. What What are you doing there? <laughs> what are you doing? Cowboysforangels.com backslash. He's not on uh, there anymore. Buff Bagwell. So, who's the baby face? Buff's, Buff's the baby face here? He, but he's acting like a heel. They talked about him like he was, and he just left the NWO. So you would assume, yes. You would think he would not make fun of Karate Man. Or whatever he was doing. Vampiro looks good in this match. Buff, not so much. And no way Buff should have won this match. You're trying to build Vampiro. Why? That's what I mean. You're trying to build both. So why even have this match? And that happened a handful of times on this show. Why are you building Buff at this point, though? Buff was already injured. He's older. Well, you're doing the baby. He wasn't that old here. He was only like 34. But... You, he was a nine-time rookie of the year. Yeah, and it like his neck was falling out of his neck spine. Um, his neck was falling out of his neck. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go ahead. Match two: Jerry Flynn versus Wrath. Loved him in w- or ECW. Jerry Flynn. Yeah, That's Jerry, Jerry Lynn. Mister JF. J- <laughs> <laughs> WCW really botched Wrath, especially Jim this version of it. He should have been a heel, stick him with a Jimmy Hart or a Cornette type manager and let him just destroy people. He's huge. He moves good. Anyway, the guy is sitting on someone else's chest and throwing punches to the head. Do not do a close-up of it. They did, and it looked like shit. Why is Jerry Flynn getting offense in this match at all? The two fight outside and get a double count on. Are you shitting me? Once WCW got away from the Blood Runs Cold Glacier shit, I thought Wrath got a chance to shine. 
He was used a lot better in WCW than he was in the WWF. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely massive, and I'm surprised Vince never did more with him. I really think it was his accent, because you ever heard him talk? He's a country bumpkin. Yes, he is. Bam, bam, Bigelow, I'm going to get in that ring. <laughs> I still think the Adam Bomb gimmick was cool. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I'm not going to fight you on that. But I think this match, there's no way this match was supposed to end the way it did. Wrath hurt his leg. And you could see he was visibly limping very badly. He couldn't even stand on it. Right. So I think they kind of had to call an audible in the ring. And they both just went outside and they did a double count out. Because Jerry Flynn never won a match ever in the history of God knows when. And he's, he's so, still on like five pay-per-views for WCW. So good job right. out of them. So he was not supposed to win. This was not supposed to be a double count out. Wrath was going to get the win. He was going to do his pump handle slam finishing move. But he I'm obviously blew out his leg and that was it. I just thought Wrath looked like he was going to drop an atom bomb on Jerry Flynn. <laughs> and Jerry Flynn looks like Magnum P.I. from the 90s. Harry and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think Jerry Flynn was the first feud for Tank Abbott when he came into WCW, which is you know you can guess how awesome that was. Mm-hmm. And um, to be fair, he had already lost to his big brother Jim. Jim Flynn or Jim Abbott? Jim Abbott. They only got one hand. Oh, one uh, hand. That's bad. Um, beat up with a guy with one hand. <laughs> used to also, tag team with Kerry Von Erich. What? They make a whole the old, the old that's ones. Mean. That's mean. Why are we doing this? So three hands uh, and three foot. <laughs> <laughs> three by three just end um, the show now we don't need to keep going i i was gonna say the reason why wrath got hurt is because jerry flynn is getting offense in stop it squash him get over what are we doing here match three. Oh, i forgot this guy was even on the show horace horace hogan of the nwob team takes on ming I will remind everyone that Mang should have beaten Goldberg. He had Goldberg in the Tongan death grip, and for reasons that were never explained, he just let go. Shortly after this match starts, these two fight to the floor for a while before eventually getting back in the ring. A lot of punches and kicks and one power slam. Horace takes charge and then performs a dive to the outside that lands. Horace goes for the sunset flip, but Mang reversed into the Tongan death grip for the win. Yeah, Ming's another one that I think started to shine later once they broke him up with Bar- Barbarian from the Faces of Fear. He got a chance to do a little bit more. Yeah, when he grew out the afro and started wearing parachute pants. Yeah. Horace never got over, and I'm sure he was only there as a favor to his Uncle Hulk. Because mm-hmm. he sucked. Yeah. He was terrible. Crowd never connected with him at all, and it just never worked. Ming goes over like he should have. Should have been even more dominant. Yeah. Ming is definitely rocking some cornrows here, though. That was awesome. And agree. Horace is fucking terrible. The show that I watched originally because TJ put the wrong date in, much better. 98 Thunder was, and it wasn't great, but it was a ton better than this shit. That's not saying a lot. So up next, we see a promo of Double A Flair and Little Nature backstage in an office as Charles is pouring water and champagne glasses for everyone as someone comes in for Flair to sign some documents. Arn's trying to figure out what they're for, but remembers uh, remember Flair here is the WCW president. So Arn's upset because Flair just signed the shit willy-nilly and never consulted with Arn. Because Arn's the smart one. Absolutely. March 4, still. Mikey Whipwreck takes on... Ah, uh, shit, it's Discord. Did you say March 4? Match 4. Match 4. 
He said March. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Marching forward through yep. this card. <laughs> Uh, Mikey Whiprick and, and Shipbird Disco Inferno. I always forget that Mikey wrestled in WCW, and I'd love to forget that Disco wrestled ever. Yeah. This this match wow. took forever, and because of that, there was a lot of dancing and watching Disco try to do moves, only to get himself caught up in the ropes and whatnot. It was like watch. I don't even know what the I don't even know what to compare this to. Mikey is getting a fair amount of offense, and though then Disco hits the last dance, aka the stunner for the win. I have no memory of Mikey Whipwreck in WCW. Now you do. And what's worse is Zabisco didn't even know who the hell he was. And they call him Shipwreck. And yeah, the the whole time he was like, who is this guy? I mean, that's hella disrespectful to Whipwreck, although he sucked. So, I mean, really. But WCW, they had everybody up to this point. It's kind of like AEW now, just wrestlers everywhere. Oh, you are a world champion in any organ. You're. Signed, <laughs> but pretty sure you Ciro know was in Disco was in the NWO Wolfpack here. Yes, I didn't know that. I don't remember him being in the NWO. This was a long. This is actually a long storyline because they wouldn't let him in, and he kept doing shit. And eventually, they gave in. Mm. This match was trash. Disco Inferno was. I mean, he had some entertaining spots in his career, but. I mean, he was never going to win any awards for putting on decent matches. I think his best match ever was at Bash at the Beach 96 against uh, Dean Malenko. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Great. A guy that couldn't cut it in ECW versus a guy that couldn't cut it in WCW. This ought to be fabulous. Hey, he was a former ECW champion. I don't give a fuck. What? <laughs> Whatever. Match is stupid. And there is no way I'm putting a baggy T-shirt over one of my wrestlers. Why? Why? You're a professional wrestler. You shouldn't have to wear a baggy T-shirt. ECW, that was the theme. Everybody wore baggy T-shirts because none of them could hit a fucking gym. Except for Taz. They didn't have time. They had to put the ring to shit together. I don't even know that Taz had time to hit the gym. He was too busy being in the damn tanning bed. And then they had to to go get their shots before and after every show. Boom. But at least they picked the winner, right? I mean, Disco should have went over here because I don't know that. <laughs> I want to see Taz right. slap the shit out of Timmy one day. Just Absolutely. Go. Can't wait for that day. I, want I don't know, up to him I don't know if he's tall enough to reach my face. And just slap the piss out of him. I'll giggle like a little schoolgirl. I'll pee. <laughs> <laughs> In your pants or will you like whip it out and just... Maybe both. I might pull it out and then pee on at the bottom of my pant legs. I don't know. <laughs> I will piss all over my shoes if he does that. <laughs> now we're with Gene Oakland in the ring as he calls out the NWO B team, Stevie Ray, Brian Adams, Vincent, and Horace Hogan. By the way, they didn't give themselves this nickname, but when you're a faction and everyone calls you the B team, it's not, it's not positive. Stevie Ray is the new leader of the NWO Black and White. Quite a bit of a step down from Hollywood Hogan. He trashes Hogan. He trashes Nash. Trashes Steiner. And trashes Luger. Good job, you. Stevie Ray is going for the World Heavyweight title. Then he calls ZD- I don't know. Then he calls DDP a fruit booty. <laughs> <laughs> and then, says that it- <laughs> and then you- I- did you see Oakland's face? He was trying not to laugh when he said it. <laughs> Then says it that if Kimberly is at ringside, he will pimp slap two people. And go to jail. 
Had this promo happened on Nitro, I believe the people at the CNN Center would have driven to Orlando and burned the arena down. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> oh, fruit booty? <laughs> Where are we that Stevie Ray is leading the NWO? Not in a good place. I was not aware the job squad appeared in ECW or WCW. Mm. Let's see. Stevie Ray, Horace, Crush. Virgil. At least the job squad knew who they were. NWO in 99, not the best. It's who's taking this shit seriously? I don't like fruit booty. Terrible. Well, you forgot about Scott Norton. He was in Japan. That was part of the promo. <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably running from Stevie Ray being in charge. Scott Norton said, Stevie Ray said uh, Scott Norton's going to win the IWGP title and then he was going to win the WCW title. Yeah. Neither Some happened. Faction. Neither one happened. Match five, disorderly contact uh, conduct take contact. on contact. <laughs> this, they were not a good team. Takes on Raven and Saturn again. Disorderly contact is getting offense in and making this match even, even though Saturn and Raven declared themselves the hunt for the tag titles just before this match started. No one is allowed to dominate ever. Raven's getting a good reaction from the crowd, but don't you worry, WCW will never use him right. He performs a drop toll to meet uh, to mean Mike onto a chair in front of the referee. No disqualification. Raven and Saturn win. Ah, yes, disorderly conduct. Mean Mike and Tough Tom. Your alliteration me. rules. <laughs> yeah. Former WCW World Heavyweight Champion and Florida State Seminole Legend Ron Simmons and his tag team partner Bradshaw would have killed these clowns. Literally Just saying <laughs> they they might they might have literally killed them. Raven had pretty cool entrance music here, but he was never used right in WCW. Oh, what was it? Was it uh, so out of place? The fucking crow going off the whole time—that was cool, or Raven, or whatever. Thought it no, that was his WWE theme music. They t- they dubbed it over uh, here. Mm-hmm. He had uh, it was like well, I liked Stone, it. Stone Temple Pilots or something like that for the background. Was his music? Yeah, whatever. His WWE music was awesome. Then cool, I liked it. This match was disorderly crap. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> disorderly crap. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> I'm assuming that they're the jobbers here, disorderly conduct, but they didn't job. Yeah, they did, though. They lost. Well, I'm t- but they got offense in. They weren't jobbing. Yeah. That, well, again, even if you don't know who the opponent is, you have to be equal offense. It's stupid. I thought Saturn was already in WWE here. I didn't even realize he was still in WCW. January of 2000. Would Saturn be considered a fruit booty? I'm not answering that. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> mean Mike, Tough Tom. Ugh. Can we talk about the two fat Italian guys in the crowd and their mail order brides? Did you see that? I hadn't noticed. That was awesome. Like, it's two 300 pound. Hairy, greasy, sweaty Italian guys, and like petite blonde from Russia with love for fifty thousand dollars. And how's Raven hitting him with the chair? Not a disqualification. We we don't do rules here. No, no one gets over, and we don't have rules either. (laughs) Cool. It's ECW two point oh. Kind of. We get a recap of Rey Mysterio and Juventud in a Cruiserweight title match, and for some reason, Malenko and Benoit interfere. So they're they're doing the horseman thing. Raven and Saturn ran out to help, but not Billy Kidman, who is supposed to be Mysterio's partner. 
Match six, Hoovy takes on Rey Mysterio Jr. for the WCW Cruiserweight title. This match is competitive, and it should be, since there's a title on the line with two established people in that division. Hoovy does a people's elbow, and I forgot he did that. Hoovy hits the Hoovy driver but can't make the cover. Eventually, Ray recovers, hits a top rope hurricane runner for the win. Ray Mysterio was only 24 years old here. That is crazy. Yeah. But they should have never taken the mask off all these luchadors. They took them off everybody. Bischoff has said he he regrets it because he didn't yeah. he didn't bother to teach himself the prestige of the mask. Yeah, I like this match and wish we got more of this stuff in WWE now. I hate they got rid of the cruiserweight championship. WWE needs to get rid of the U.S. title and bring back the smaller guys in the cruiserweight belt. Mm-hmm. Boy, I thought Mysterio looked goofy with the mask on. Jesus Christ, he's goofy without it. <laughs> Looks like a <laughs> fucking child, as tall as a fucking child. <laughs> <laughs> but I I had never seen either of these two without masks on. Uh, Hoovy kind of looks ugly. Yeah, we know why he wears a mask. At least we know Dominic is the best looking Mysterio. What is, what is it with you? What? Just being a dick, to Ray, Ray Mysterio, <laughs> terrible father, terrible wrestler, and Hoovy. You're being a dick to Hoovy. Well, the Hoovy's a good wrestler. He just Hoovy juice. He looked, his name should have been Goofy. Because he looked Goofy. Good Lord. But that Hoovy elbow looks a whole lot like someone else's elbow. I can't quite put my finger on it. Mm, yeah. And can you be the king of mystery after they take your mask off? Because they called him the king of mystery. And there's no question marks on his gear anymore either. Nope. The king of children. That's, that's rude. So we're back again with Flair and Little Nature, and they're talking. When Double A walks in and he's not happy, still upset about the papers Flair signed earlier without consulting with Double A. I, I never actually figured out what they signed. I don't know what they said. Arm thinks Flair is acting irrationally, and Flair repeats that he is the president. I believe this angle is what leads to Roddy Piper making his comeback and then being commissioner and then eventually being president. Flair acting irrationally? That could never happen. I know. It's so unlike him. Main event time, DDP with Kimberly Page. She did not get a pimp slap, just for the record. Defends the world title against Stevie Ray with Vincent. They immediately go to the floor. Yeah, Vincent. Awesome. They immediately go to the floor where they fight for seemingly minutes, but there's no count out. Vincent is even interfering with no DQ. Again, I don't know why a referee's even out there. Raven hit someone with a chair earlier and didn't get DQ'd. No one gives a shit. Let's do whatever. I don't care. Eventually, they get back into the ring and Stevie Ray's in control. Stevie goes for the slapjack, but DDP reverses it into the diamond cutter. Gets the win. Immediately afterwards, Vincent Horace and Brian Adams jump into the ring, but DDP dispatches of all of them, not that Brian Adams. So much for this version of the NWO. This was possibly the shortest match of the night, and DDP whooped the black and white all by himself. That's how we go off the air. Obviously, Stevie Ray wasn't going to win here. We all knew this. Yeah. I wonder how much WCW was paying Vincent here because he was horrendous in the ring and never amounted to shit. Too much. So I went and looked it up. Oh. In 1996, Vincent made $27,010 in WCW. He obviously showed up late in the year. I was going to say, whoa. In 1997, he made (laughs) $109,454. What? In 1998, he made $112,555. In 
1999, this year, he made 154985 bucks. Jesus. And in 2000, before he got fired, he made a whopping $11,900. But he got fired January 3rd, so... So let's caveat this. In 1997, Ultimo Dragon made $11,000 more than Vincent. In 1998, Ultimate Dragon made $30,000 more than Vincent. And in 1999, his last full year in WCW, Ultimo Dragon made $22,000 less <laughs> than Vincent. And, and, and for those listening, it's like, well, 154000 that's not that much. That's $278,087 today. So he's making a quarter of a mil in WCW for doing nothing. He was a decoration. All right. So I did like DDP here. His face run starting in 97 was really good. Mm -hmm. And Kimberly, my gosh, she is so fine. Yes, so she fine. Is. She is yeah. But DDP is one of the great success stories in wrestling and his diamond cutter out of nowhere really helped propel him to superstardom. Correct. And, I mean, Orton's doing a great job with it now, but Orton didn't need it. DDP, it worked. Mm -hmm. But how bad was the NWO black and white here? Thank God they were gone soon, because when Hogan came back, he was red and yellow. Well, until Jarrett shows up, then, then they're back. That's 2000. This is 99. Hogan yeah. came back in the red and yellow in 99. No, but the belt. You said they're back for good. They come back with Jeff Jarrett. Well, yeah, they come back, but, I mean, it's never the same. And I think Disco's in that version, too. <laughs> So is this whole show like a fever dream? Because what is going on here? I want to know who was booking Thunder because they were asleep. Where the hell's Booker T? I think he was hurt. How is Stevie Ray in charge of something? But Booker T you can't get on the fucking show. Reggie White made $209,000 for one match in 1997. <laughs> it's a good investment. Kimberly looked great here, except her hair was, I didn't like her hair here. I, I didn't even notice her hair, so. She had hair? What? She exactly. wasn't bald. Thought she was in a hat. Which is weird because DDP's hair here might be the best thing about him. He had fabulous hair. I don't know why I'm talking about hair so much. There's a lot of Hogan here in DDP. He's talking, he's taking non challenging challenger and making him a superstar because. Well, he tried like hell. I don't know if he succeeded. Stevie Ray was the shit. And shocker, DDP wins because. I don't know how you couldn't put the belt on DDP or on Stevie Ray. God damn. Miss a missed opportunity here to have a title change yeah. on Thunder to Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I like a week, Jack. And it was like Pretty 10 days booty. before um what was their next pay-per-view? Uh it was no, it was uh it wasn't Spring Stampede, but it was like Wrestle War or something like that. I don't remember which one it was, but I know what we're doing next week. But before we get to that, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please let us know. Give us that five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at FF Podcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Podcast, and follow the network at Filter Free Net. As for us, you can find us on all social media platforms at Timmy C. At Timmy C. 1979. Dave. At Dave in the QC. And I am at T. Stevens 91. Next week, we're going to cover TNA Impact from April 4th, 2013. Chris Davis is bringing the lumber. Jurassic Park is real. Iron Man 3 
and so much more. Until then, this has been the Filter Free Podcast, and so long for now. Joke of the week. If a black bird has black babies and a blue bird has blue babies, what bird has no babies? I don't know. Big bird? A swallow. <laughs> <laughs>